1: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO
0: Fire, and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions, and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the great pleasure of having Dr. Joan Daly-Lewis with us. After serving as a teacher, principal, staff developer, regional school improvement specialist, university professor and assistant superintendent, Dr. Joan Daly lewis has chosen to devote herself to working with teachers and school administrators, supporting them in their effort to strengthen teaching and learning, especially through the enhancement of instructional and supervisory practices. Districts have sought Joan's assistance in administrative professional development collaborative professional development planning, teacher coaching, and meeting facilitator. Her recent efforts have focused on instructional rounds, learning walks, learning conversations, reflective performing appraisals, analysis of supervisory work products, and sane and productive implementation of the New York State's Misguided Professional Performance Review System. The thing that links all of these endeavors in a commitment to fostering growth-oriented learning conversations between and among educators. Joan believes that mindful listening and invitational inquiry are key ingredients in fostering the kinds of rich professional dialogue that trigger insight and refinement of professional practice. Joan has demonstrated a boundless commitment to supporting individual and collective professional growth, having assisted over 80 districts in articulating and pursuing their goals and enhancing professional skill sets. In addition to her doctorate from Columbia University's Teachers College, she is grateful for having the opportunity to study with people like Grant Wiggins, Art Costa, Laura Lipton, and Bruce Wellman, Robert J. Marzano, Charlotte Danielson, Carol Ann Tomlinson, Deborah Pickering, Heidi Hayes Jacobs, Linda Darling Hammond, and many others who have shaped her understandings and perspectives on teaching. So welcome Dr. Joan Daly Lewis, how are you? I'm
1: great and thank you for having me.
0: We are so happy to have you on our podcast. As you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership and we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So you ready to pour into our listeners? I am ready to share what I can. Awesome. So Joan, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now?
1: Sure. I want to specify that I think of myself as an instructional leader, which is the focus of my work. And I enjoyed teaching as a young person, but I found really special joy in working with teachers, both one-on-one and in groups, curriculum mm-hmm. committees, staff development. And that's where I really got my juices flowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah and I wanted to do more of that. My pathway was, I was a youth leader in high school, Mm -hmm. teacher of course, always a teacher, still a teacher, an assistant principal, a staff developer, principal. I was a director of school improvement at BOCES and an assistant superintendent. But for the last 13, 14 years, I've taken the parts I've liked of my past jobs and focused on them exclusively, Mm -hmm. which is working mostly with school administrators in some districts working with groups of teacher leaders also on reflective leadership, reflective supervision, and the fostering of shared dialogue about our work and how it's going and what we could do to help children learn at higher levels. Mm -hmm. And it's work that has been very meaningful, I think, for the people I've been doing it with and for me, And what I've been focusing on is helping people build a skill set that is critical, but often not in place. And what I'm talking about has to do with helping mostly school administrators think about the way they use language in their discourse with teachers.
0: Mm, Very important.
1: Yeah, so it's astonishing to see the growth that can take place when people learn how to listen to themselves, when they learn how to listen better to others. How do you listen to yourself? What do you mean by that? Well, one of the things I've been doing in some districts, which has been so exciting, is having administrators get the permission of a teacher to videotape post-observation conferences Mm. and then the administrators learn how to analyze their own language use. So they learn to recognize when they cut a teacher off, or when they should ask a follow-up question, when they should just acknowledge and wait for the teacher to say more, and when and how to ask cognitively challenging questions instead of giving their opinions. So this is, I'm talking about work that's very deep and takes a real commitment over time to learn. So they get permission from the teacher
0: to be videotaped, and it's for their use. It's
1: for the administrator's administrators. analysis of their interactions with their teachers. And taking that even a step further, over time, this would be people I've been working with for Mm -hmm. often years, having the leader have a leader buddy who also does this and then the two leaders look at each other's tapes. So they coach each other kind of? They listen to each other and they share what they notice about fostering teacher reflection and they share the things that they're wondering about that may have impeded teacher reflection. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very deep work and it's such a privilege to be invited to do this. The other thing I've been doing is taking groups of administrators, again, with teachers' buy-in, into classrooms in groups of five or six administrators and myself, after they learn protocols for collecting data and using reflective language, spend a day visiting, say, five classes, and then sharing in non-judgmental language what they saw, what they noticed, and what they wondered about in terms of strengthening instruction. What I'm now describing is the Harvard Instructional Rounds model. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, being privileged to do that in a number of districts, and people come away transformed in so many ways because they're recognizing the expertise among their colleagues, Mm -hmm. they're recognizing the things they know and the things they don't know And they usually come away hungry to grow themselves as well as to think about how to bring these issues back to their teachers.
0: I love that because it sounds like you're igniting something in them that they didn't realize was in them before.
1: Well, I know a lot of your work focuses on teams and the power of teams. And I have come to realize, you know, as my career has (laughs) progressed, how critical the team is to learning that we are blind sometimes to our own um, current reality. Mm -hmm. And when people are looking together and learning how to speak to each other in a way that is using mediated language, learning how to provide feedback that's useful and not critical, it can be really transformative.
0: So there are two things that come up for me as you're speaking, how important listening
1: is, right?
0: And, you know, I think you asked me why did I do this podcast. I think part of the reason is I'm practicing.
1: Well, you're doing very well so far.
0: <laughs> so the second thing is is trust, right? When I think about your process, right, or part of your process, mm-hmm. when an administrator or a leader sits with a teacher, there has to be trust for them to allow them to videotape them and to have that conversation, but also trust among the team because then they can speak to each other on a deeper level, right?
1: Yes. And it's interesting. People have a notion that in a situation, trust has to pre-exist deep work. And what I have learned repeatedly over the last few years is that if you bring people protocols for interaction, protocols provide a safe environment. Mm. So if you know, for instance, that you're not allowed to use language. In commenting on someone's work, you're not allowed to say in some protocols, I liked, which is a judgment, because if you give yourself permission to say you liked, that means you also have permission to say, or imply, I didn't like. Mm -hmm. And teaching people little shifts in language that are embedded in protocols that communication experts have worked out, shifting from I liked to I noticed, takes a lot of judgment away and enables a conversation to take place. Protocols may involve things like the type of language that you use, the type of evidence that you collect, how you share it, how long you get to share it, how it's synthesized and summarized, how a facilitator may pace the conversation. And these protocols ensure that you are in protected space. So instead of having to have trust first, well, you have to have a modicum of trust, but the protocols build trust. They create the safe environment, and then people want to take more risks.
0: Mm.
1: And it's all, the foundation is the language. Language matters. Language is so powerful, and that is a lesson I learn every single day.
0: So do you feel like if we use specific language, it can actually change the way we feel?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, successful therapists (laughs) prove that every day. I'll give you an example. And oh, my goodness, I can't remember the author of the book. It's called something like Words Matter. Mm -hmm. And he gives the example of looking at a student's writing. And while you might say to the student, you haven't learned how to spell that, the alternate, listen to this, I see you haven't learned how to spell that yet. Now look at the power of the word yet. It's a promise, it's Mm -hmm. an invitation. It's saying, I believe in you. I believe you can do that. Just that little nuance can make an enormous, enormous difference. And that's true in working with students and colleagues. Absolutely. Great, thank you so
0: much for that. Now, how would you describe your leadership style?
1: Well, first I had a lot of unlearning to do because a was, lot of us yeah did. <laughs> yeah I was raised in a very top-down household my father ruled the ruse very kind of Germanic strong heavy-fisted kind of leadership and as a young teacher I never had an instructional leader I had people who were good at management you know the buses came in on time they left on time the children were safe but I never really experienced leadership until I became a principal and I had the opportunity to work under Dr. Martin Brooks, who is the co-author with his wife, Jacqueline Brooks Yes, we had him um, on the book yes, uh-huh, Of the very famous and well-regarded book, In Search of Understanding the Case for Constructivist Classrooms. And I worked with Marty, and I worked with a visionary superintendent that many people remember, Dr. Richard Doremus. Mm-hmm. And they were great leaders, They were terrific leaders, and it was the beginning of a journey for me of learning how to micromanage less, how to (laughs) listen more, how to trust people, trust the process, and empower others, and it was a journey. Yeah, so I think my leadership now is very much about, well, given the nature of my work over the last 13 or 14 years, my work is about empowering others to achieve some of these things that I came to through slow and painful means Mm -hmm. um, in terms of listening but learning protocols to empower people in their work. So I would like to say I'm an empowering leader but I'm very very committed also to expertise and building expertise. John Gardner from Harvard has done some very interesting work on what constitutes good work and he describes it as having three components. Excellence, engagement, and ethics. I'm inspired by leaders who are driven by a strong moral commitment and a passion for the work of helping children learn, helping everybody learn. And I think that's the type of leader I have really, really tried to be, someone whose focus is helping people learn and grow in support of the mission. You know, you strike me as someone who's very
0: passionate about their work. Yes. Like, to me, passion is heart, is emotion, um, it's spirit, but you're also combining the knowledge, academics, the way to. In other words, you're giving us also clear, specific instruction on how to get there and their steps. I think it's, you know, wishing
1: I'd had that in the past mm. and seeing school administrators who I admire when they're exposed to this work, saying they wish they'd had it 20 years ago. So, in fact, I'm, instead of presenting, I'm supposed to be working on a book. I know you're interested in what I'm learning now. I'm trying to figure out if I can capture the work I do face-to-face with people mm-hmm. teaching, in, uh, teaching school administrators, if I can capture it in print, because I think there's a desperate need for this skill set And it's not readily available to people so there's a very powerful book I don't remember the author but the title is The Listening Leader came out about a year and a half ago and it's fabulous 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 but it's very big (laughs) Uh it's very dense and in it is much of what I care about but I want to sort of do the Idiot's Guide to Reflective super Supervision. That speaks to me. <laughs> well, and it's not, it, obviously, it's, if you know the Idiot's right, Guide right. books, it's not about being an idiot, but it's about having something that's accessible, yes. condensed. Pars- parsimonious, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So um, you say it's so much better than that. That you can use, no, I actually like the word <laughs> condensed better, but that you can use. And you don't have to you know take a year off from your work to read the book. That's my goal. That's what I want to do. I'm a very good technical writer, but writing in a way that invites a reader in is very different than technical writing. So that's what I'm working on trying to learning because I want to share this work. I'm indebted to people that I've learned it from the leadership work of Art Costa, for instance, mm-hmm. and his former colleagues, Bruce Wellman and Laura Lipton. I've studied extensively with them and then worked collegially with administrators in learning this work and now feel privileged to share it. So, yes, passion. um, So there's a book in you that's (laughs) coming out soon. Well, I I, I don't know about (laughs) how soon, but um, I definitely would like to offer people beyond long island Mm -hmm. the opportunity to learn and grow the way i've been privileged to learn and grow and now am so lucky to be able to help others do so um locally and joan that is
0: incredibly important work so if our listeners wanted to connect with you and learn more and perhaps just wait on your book (laughs) what's the what's the best way to connect
1: with you Sure. My email is, I'll say it, and I'll spell it, jdailylu at optonline.net, which is j-d-a-l-y-l-e-w at opt, O-P-T, online.net. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. Now,
0: which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why?
1: Well, in my workshops, I always pick a quote for the day, but it's always relative to what we're going to be learning. The most recent one that I've been using a lot is a quote from, I guess, philosopher Remy. Yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it speaks to the wisdom of getting older. You realize you're not going to change other people, but Mm -hmm. you're going to change yourself. I, I know the work that I'm doing with school administrators So many of them tell me it's not just helping them in their school with their teachers, but it's helping them with their kids, their teenagers, their spouses, learning how to listen better, how to follow up something that someone says with a question instead of blurting out a response. So, yes, I am continuing to work on changing myself. Wonderful. Thank you
0: so much for that. Now, Joan, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: Well, it, it it sort of flows from this conversation, um, you know, again, when I was a young administrator, and I had so many ideas, I was not the good listener I think I've become, or certainly aspire to be every day, and a colleague, a very smart colleague who I had a lot of respect for said, you have to listen more in meetings and speak less. And, you know, I'm reminded of the famous quote, the reason we've been given two ears and one mouth is so that we should listen twice as much as we speak. And beyond that, I'm thinking of Michael Fullan's advice to say what you stand for. So often administrators have beliefs and a strong sense of purpose, but they don't always explain why they're doing what they're doing or why they're asking their team to do what they're doing so you know i talk a lot about communicating core messages to people messages like we're all responsible for continuous improvement we've conditioned teachers to want to hear that they're doing a great job Mm -hmm. and by and large they are doing a great job but we also have to share the message that every one of us has to commit to continuous improvement i've learned i have to let people know and the administrators I'm working with need to let people know that they are very invested in the teacher's success and in the teacher's learning and that we're invested in our own learning so this message is about being clear about what you stand for and communicating your core messages to the people you lead. Do you find that some people don't know what their core messages are? Yes, when invited to think about it they get more in touch with it I think it may not always be focused it may not be on the front burner enough so for some people it is some people are clearly mission-driven I was having physical therapy last night and I was talking to my physical therapist with whom I've had an ongoing relationship for many years and I said do you think of your therapy as mission-driven work and she said every day she said on my way to work I pray to God that I will have the strength to make people well. I mean, to me, that's an example of someone who's very clear about their purpose. As a leader, I want everybody to surface their purposes and find common purpose because I know you're interested in what makes for a good team. And I think having a shared purpose that's collaboratively articulated is a hallmark of a good team.
0: One of the things that I see about you as a leader is that you invite people To really tap into that. And that's an important thing to know and to voice. Absolutely. Especially Uh, in education.
1: (laughs) Yeah. A lot of administrators have a sense of their why, and they're not always articulating it. For me, that's the missing piece. Mm
0: -hmm. Introducing Master Leadership at Schools podcast where educators and students work together to learn powerful leadership concepts and the skills necessary to podcast so as to create Master Leadership at Your School podcast. So join me, Lily Sanabria, to create something of greater significance. Learn more at masterleadership.org forward slash MLS. Now, can you tell us about a challenge that you've
1: experienced and how it has shaped your life? I alluded to this earlier. My first principalship was rocky because if you think of good work as constituting excellence, engagement, and ethics, I was very clear and strong on the excellence and the ethics part and not attentive enough to the engagement part. Given a choice of greeting the students coming in on the bus or greeting the teachers, versus running a mini workshop for teachers on writing conference. I was always opting for running the mini workshop on writing conference. So my leadership work was out of balance. And I wasn't devoting enough time to relationships. And I think because of my own upbringing, my own personality, that was something I had to learn. I think some leaders recognize and have strength in building relationships and have to develop the other side so it was a challenge and half the teachers adored me and half the teachers couldn't stand me because I wasn't focused on asking them about their kids, their interests. Their, you know, it was all about the work. So that was a challenge and a rite of passage and of growth uh, from good teachers letting me know something was, you know, really horribly askew. And um, that was difficult, but it was an incredible blessing to start to develop this other side of myself. And you're doing an amazing job well, at it. I mean, you're building a business around it, it aren't you? You know, it's, I've only realized that recently that the work that I've chosen to do, and I guess that i immersed myself in so deeply is connected to those early difficult years. And knowing that it's not just nature, it's nurture. You can become a powerful, but caring, responsive leader who is deeply committed to people as human beings, as well as educators. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Now, I know that we've talked from the beginning how it is slow, intentional work. There are some leaders in schools that are gung-ho about professional development and doing the technical work that is needed, but are not really focused on the people skills what's the first thing they should be doing like one thing they should be starting to do that would help them
1: that's a hard question but I'm tempted to go back to my own learning which is talk less and listen more you know one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was when teachers come to you with an idea try to say yes and my first reaction again early on was gee I don't know that'll be hard because as opposed to trying to think of all the ways you could say yes and all the ways to support it while inviting the teacher to provide the legwork and at the very least say that is such an interesting idea I think you're going to need a little more information and I know I will to figure out if it's going to be workable so you can buy yourself some time but try to support people's ideas Mm -hmm. You know, Joan, one of the things that stands out
0: to me about you is your humility. From the beginning, we sat down and you started to ask me questions. And What I got from you is how interested you are in me.
1: Well, it's interesting because what I learned as I was trying to survive as a young administrator was not just that I had to do these things, but they were so rewarding. You know, when you took the time to be invested in other people, it felt wonderful, (laughs) and you learned. And there was an electrical sparkle between you and the other person that was born out of building a relationship. So it's mutually nurturing.
0: Something happens when there's a connection, which is really wonderful. Yes, exactly. So learning to connect with people is important and what you said. taking
1: the time to connect with people in this crazy world. You know, teachers are in a survival mode. Principals, administrators are in a survival mode because too much is asked of them. Their responsibilities are too great. The school day is poorly organized without time for adults to work together. So to commit to taking the time to be a person with others and make the work connected to building the relationships. Mm -hmm. It's a commitment that pays off, but it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. And it's a very toxic environment, as I'm sure you know, for teachers and administrators with both national reform movements and some misguided steps on the Mm -hmm. part of New York State. So leadership is more important than ever to protect teachers and Mm -hmm. administrators from a fairly toxic environment for education, especially for public education. And so part of the reason why we have, well, the reason why
0: we have this podcast is so that teachers, leaders can invest in themselves and not wait for the school to have a professional development on it. You know, it'll happen and it does happen in some cases, but to invest in themselves and to know that these types of skills are needed. So,
1: And I celebrate this uh, series of podcasts you're doing because when I looked at the other people you would had interviewed, I was like, yeah, I'd like to be a part of that group. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've learned so much and continue to learn. So, Joan, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? Yeah, I had the opportunity for many years to do a lot of facilitating in school districts, and some of the facilitating was related to state mandates on shared decision-making or teacher performance reviews. I really enjoyed that work, and got better at it by doing it. So the culminating project for me was I was invited to facilitate a group of 180 district people that was a diverse crowd made up of high school students, parents, teachers, paraprofessionals, administrators, working in a district to decide how to deal with a burgeoning population. So I met with this group of 180 people sitting at, I think, 14 tables over the period of 10 months, and every month we would have an expert come in, so maybe one session we would have an architect come in and talk to us, and then I would craft a series of questions for people to discuss at their tables, and then I would give them a table writing activity, and then they would present the summary of their writings to the whole group, and then we would take the month to plan, okay, what did they need to learn next time, What did we learn from them? You know, sip through and massage their ideas. So we had 10 months of data from this huge, diverse group of people. They had 10 months of learning about the district and the building issues, the educational issues. What would the cost be of full day kindergarten? What would be the facility needs? And I was allowed to ask the district to bring in any kind of expert to present. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the 10 months, I was able to help this group of people come up with six recommendations in prioritized order that ultimately led to the passage of a $50 million bond issue.
0: Nice. Yes, (laughs)
1: Yes. and I remember the superintendent calling me the night of the budget vote. He called me just after midnight to say, I couldn't wait to tell you that the bond vote passed. And it was a great accomplishment to think that we could get that many people talking to each other in a meaningful way and really having them learning, not just expressing their opinion, but learning and growing together and then trying to find a common direction. It was thrilling. And you know, I've learned to say, trust the process, trust the people. If you offer people the structure of a protocol or of a good process and you provide them with opportunities to learn, they are capable of great work together.
0: Mm.
1: And you know what it says to me, too, how you were able to keep those people
0: together for 10 months. Well, it wasn't just me. uh, I'm
1: seated behind me on a dais would be the superintendent, the administrators. Everyone came out to do the hard work. Everyone was there to work. But the district chose to give everybody a voice was such a powerful message in and of itself. And to be a part of that, what a privilege. It was. And how you continue
0: that. to cultivate that because one of the things that I heard too is that you crafted questions. Yes. So, yeah. you know, that's not an easy thing to do to craft questions to engage people. I want to pick your brain a little bit more later on because I love doing that and I want to continue to get better doing that. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. All right. So what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working
1: climate or culture? Ah, <sighs> Well, I have two messages. I I knew you might ask me that. So I brought a statement from Mother Teresa, who had plenty of experience working in difficult situations. People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world your best, and it may never be enough. Give them your best anyway. So, wise words from Mother Teresa. Now, I do have the I'm those. teary-eyed. I'm sorry. Yeah. I
0: needed to hear that.
1: Oh. But Thank this, you. But here's the second message, and this is a message I think you've learned already, which is if you're a new leader who's discouraged by the culture they find themselves in, they have to consider whether they're on the right bus. Mm. They might have to get off the bus because I think, particularly for a young leader, after they have stayed long enough to have credibility. They have to look to find a community they can grow in. And one of the incredible inequities of education is that there are some districts that really function like learning communities, and there are some that don't. mm -hmm. And I have worked in both. I've been privileged to work with and for some leaders who were inspirational in creating a culture of learning for everybody and it's my most fervent wish certainly for administrators who I've helped through their internships that they find themselves in a district where they can be growing Uh, so you can't always stay put and as a young administrator you often don't have the power to really change the culture Uh, you can try you can make some inroads I also think young administrators in general have to, or we all do, have to find our own community of learners. One of the most powerful community of learners on Long Island, I find, to be the Middle School Principals Association. Hmm. What an amazing group. And what makes that so different, that group? The people who have emerged as leaders in the group create lots of opportunities for their members to learn from and with each other. They make themselves available to each other. They invite each other to their schools to see programs and projects they initiate book study groups they are always available for mentoring and I don't know why this particular group is so strong but I think it may be an accident in part of the membership and then it's a self-sustaining self-replicating reality Mm -hmm. you know the um, we need to survive these middle schoolers. Well, no, but n- no, actually, most of these people have a calling to work with middle yes. school kids. Yes. I felt the way you felt. That was not my favorite population. But these people are so committed yes. to the children at that, you know, middle, weird, pre, early adolescent stage that yeah. they get energy from those kids, you know. Such an important um, stage, yeah. So you have to find a learning community.
0: Thank you. All right, now this is a doozy. If there were something you could change in education in the U.S., what would that be?
1: Uh, definitely, I have ideas on that. Okay. Two ideas, particularly. One is the current push towards privatization, with big money now wanting a huge piece of the education pie, is threatening the survival of public education. And I believe strong, high quality public education. Is a foundation for a healthy democracy, and I mm-hmm. think we need that more than ever. So I am extraordinarily concerned, and that includes, you know, the poor excuse for leadership that the federal government has established as the head of the Department of Education. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is, uh, school structures in this country have not kept up with the reality of what leads to good education. So compared to the highest achieving nations, our teachers spend more time in contact with students than in any other nation. That's among the highest achieving nations. Our teachers don't have time to work together. Our administrators don't have time to work with their teachers. So it limits the possibility of real powerful professionalism where people can come together and do important work. Important work like collaboratively analyzing student work samples or constantly refining lessons, lesson study, instructional rounds. These are things that take time but would really contribute dramatically to student learning and to professional growth. So those are two biggies. Biggies, yes, yeah. thank you so much.
0: I appreciate that. Now, You did mention a book, The Listening Leader, but what
1: have you read that our listeners should read and why? Well, I think anybody who's involved in teaching or the supervision of teaching should become increasingly aware of and knowledgeable about the research of John Hattie, H-A-T-T-I-E. I refer to him as the world's most important educator. And what his work relates to is he spent his whole career doing meta analyses of meta analyses. Mm. In other words, he takes research and he looks at multiple research studies and massages them to try to find what are the drivers for quality learning. What are the things that catapult students to learn more than a year's learning in a year's time or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's written many books. The most famous is called Visible Learning, which came out, I think, in 2009. But the book that I would strongly recommend people work is called Visible Learning for Teachers. And the subtitle is Maximizing Impact on Learning. And I can't think of any book that I've encountered that is as powerful as that one. It's dense. It would be ideal for study groups to read. The middle school principals, by the way, last summer or two summers ago, did a study circle on it. And he's taken about 220 things that schools do or influences on learning and he's ranked ordered them from negative impact to the lowest impact to average impact to high impact and his research is very convincing. This tallies with something I said earlier, one of the top two influences on school that can propel learning forward is teacher collaboration that focuses on how to help more children learn at high levels in the school. And that particular influence, he has demonstrated to be incredibly powerful. And it tallies with our experience. For instance, lesson study. Teachers work on developing a lesson together. Let's say they've identified an area that the kids are struggling with. They build a lesson together. One of them volunteers to teach it while the others watch. They come back, they refine the lesson. That someone else teaches it and then they're looking at the student work and they're saying what are the obstacles to learning here what are the drivers of learning that's what he means by teacher collaboration I think John Hattie's work is full of ideas to help us make better choices because what he has found is that pretty much everything we do in schools causes learning but some things cause way more learning than other things. Mm-hmm. There's another one that's it's number three, actually, that's incredibly interesting. When kids are able to predict how they're going to achieve on a, say, test or whatever, that's an indicator that they know what their learning target is they know how well they've done, and they can self-assess to the extent that they can predict how well they're gonna do on a project or task. That was another very, very high-scoring influence. And uh, So when students reflect? Well, when students are aware of what they are awareness. supposed to be learning, mm-hmm. and they're aware of how closely they've gotten to the target so that they can predict for instance, how well they're gonna do, but the important part is they really know what they're supposed to learn, they really know where they are now, and they can actually say what they have to do next to get closer to the target. This is at the heart of John Hattie's work. Certainly, people who are great at this are special educators and phys ed teachers, or coaches more, where they look at the kids, they're very clear about what they want the kid to learn, they help the kid understand it, and they chart a path to that target. And what Hattie's saying is that's what education should be about every day for every kid.
0: It's at the heart of what you do too because when you first started explaining what you were doing and how you help leaders
1: reflect, so you're helping leaders do that. One of the things I do in my ongoing relationships in districts that have done deep work with me is after the administrators learn some core skills to promote reflective supervision, I give them a self-assessment tool that has uh, many components. And I ask them to chart where they think they are now, where they'd like to be, and to pick priority areas. So you're right. As you're saying that, I can make connections with my own work. And people have found that to be very helpful.
0: And there's a lot of research behind that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Wonderful. So Joan, you have a lot of responsibilities. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind?
1: Well, I have a ritual of gratitude that I start the day with. I love that. I used to wake up in a panic. Every day, I would wake up, I'd turn off the alarm and say, oh, my God, how am I going to get everything done? Oh, oh my God. Oh, oh. And I, I would start the do. day <laughs> in a tizzy. Mm-hmm. And I don't even remember what trick... Oh, I know. A friend of mine was going through some tough times, and she was telling me about her learning about this you know, practice of gratitude, which is au courant, I guess, right now. But I learned a little bit about it, and now when I wake up while my head is still on the pillow, I've turned off the alarm and I say, I have so many things to be grateful for. I'm so fortunate, and I can't wait to figure out how to make this a good day. The ritual on waking has been very powerful. I do prioritize before I go to bed what the most important things I want to accomplish the next day, you know, what writing I need to do, what thinking, reading, whatever. And I guess I'm always very conscious of my why. So as a school administrator, as I was driving home, I used to say, what have I done today that's made a difference for my school? And some days it was like nothing, Um, sadly, because I got distracted by the Mm -hmm. reality. But always to say, well, what can I do tomorrow that's going to make a difference? And I guess now with the consulting company. It's a little more clear where I'm going to try to put my energies to make a difference, but just to be really clear about the priorities.
0: And what's the name of your consulting
1: company? It's JDL Socratic Solutions. Ooh. Anything else you wanted to say? The summary for me, it's all about the marriage of relationships and expertise. And I love being invited to help people build their own expertise while seeing how that is compatible and has to be connected to nurturing relationship wonderful thank you so much now many leaders you know
0: this work long
1: hours
0: (laughs) what advice would you give about maintaining balance
1: okay well now you got me because i was never very good at that and what i said a minute ago in terms of prioritizing for sure but to be a really skillful administrator, I think it takes a lot of hours. One thing I do tell young moms who get principalships try to hire help. I know you know some people have grown up without that ever being, you know a possibility. I say, yeah, once you're a principal, if you possibly can organize your family's finances so that when you come home, your time with your children is more about nurturing than about the activities of daily living. But that's it. My quiver is pretty empty on how to maintain balance, I have to say. You're not the only one. This this <laughs> tends to be um, a question that kind of stops us. Stump the stars.
0: <laughs> All right. So if you were to go back in time, Joan, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership?
1: Well, it's no surprise from this conversation. You know, it would be um, think about that balance between um, expertise and engagement and recognize that every minutes spent connecting with people around not just the work but their lived lives is precious and is an investment in being able to achieve the things you want and helping them achieve the things they want. Thank you so much. Now
0: is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't touched on?
1: I think to know that to grow takes an ongoing investment of yourself over time there's no quick fix and people who are not investing in their own growing expertise will never really uh, achieve what they could Great. Thank you so
0: much, Joan. It's been fantastic. I'm loving this. And this is why I do what I do because I learn so much and I get to connect with such amazing people. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you for this lovely opportunity to think about the work from this perspective.
0: Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.